You're listening to The Maastricht Diplomat. Welcome back to the MD series on the crisis in Sri Lanka. My name is Jonathan Vijayaratna, I am myself Lankan, and today I'm taking you all the way to my beloved island. In October 2022, my parents, my brother and I went to visit our family in Lanka for two weeks, knowing well that if we didn't go then, the crisis would keep worsening to the point that it wouldn't be feasible to go there anymore. Throughout our stay, I recorded my family's daily routine and the general atmosphere on the streets. So in this episode, you will get to hear how life in Lanka is like through this crisis. Throughout my childhood, my family and I used to travel to Lanka every two or three years, staying mostly with my dad's family in Tudela, a town belonging to the municipality of Jaila, 20 kilometers north of the capital, Colombo. On some occasions, our trips coincided with important moments in Lankan history. In 2009, we visited our family within the first few months after the end of the civil war that started in 1983. In 2015, we went to a hopeful Lanka which had just elected a new coalition promising reforms for better governance. And during our trip, a general election consolidated this government. No one foresaw that this one too would go down the drain and that in 2019, we would visit Lanka in mourning and in shock following the terror attacks that happened on Easter Sunday of that year, killing 261 people. Good evening and thanks for joining us. As worshippers gathered for Easter services in Christian churches in Sri Lanka this morning, a wave of bombings killed more than 200 people, including several Americans. Police there say it was a coordinated terrorist attack carried out by suicide bombers at churches and hotels in three cities, the Easter Sunday bombings inaugurated a dark period for Lanka. The tourism industry accounts for 12% of the country's GDP. It's even called Sri Lanka's engine of growth. After the attacks, where 42 foreign nationals died, tourism fell by 70%. The sector was then crushed by the COVID-19 pandemic. When Sri Lanka opened its borders again, most tourists were from Russia and Ukraine. Russia's illegal invasion of Ukraine in 2022 Thus was the final nail in the coffin, as Sri Lanka was already plunging into the worst economic crisis in her history. This crisis sparked a wave of massive protests, which ousted President Gotabe Rajpaksa in July 22. And we'll cover these more in detail in the next episode of this series. The tourism sector is now in a dire situation. This is what the Canadian government's website read in October 2022 regarding travel advice to Sri Lanka. Since April 2022, there have been several protests throughout the country. In Colombo, some protests led to violent clashes between protesters and security forces. Further protests may occur. Even peaceful demonstrations can escalate quickly and turn violent at any time. The economic instability may also affect the delivery of public services, including healthcare. Limited access to resources could contribute to a further deterioration of the security environment. If you are in Sri Lanka, Keep supplies of food, water, and fuel in case of lengthy disruptions. Make sure to have sufficient supply of medicines as they may not be available. Expect a heightened security presence and avoid areas where demonstrations and large gatherings are taking place. There is such a stark contrast between this travel advice and the usual tone used to promote tourism in Lanka, bragging about the island's endless white beaches, stunning wildlife, and colorful melting pot of cultures. 
hugging lush forests, misty meadows, secret waterfalls, and ordinary Wednesdays. That is so Sri Lanka. In 2019, Lonely Planet even ranked Lanka as the top travel destination worldwide. And well, when I got there in October, it was anything but. Upon our arrival in Bandaranaika Airport, this is how it sounded like. Utter silence in a place where you would usually hear an overlap of hundreds of voices. Now, of course, October was not peak season, but still, I was astonished by how deserted the airport was. On our previous trips, I can recall having to stand in long queues to get our passports checked by immigration services. This time, it took a couple seconds. And as we got out, instead of a scene of chaos with a huge crowd of people waiting for their loved ones, my cousin and my uncle were standing amongst a dozen individuals only. Almost immediately after we arrived in Tudela in the late afternoon, we were greeted by what has been part of Lankan's daily life for more than a year, power cuts. In the context of the crisis, the Sri Lankan government has not only run out of fuel, it has also run out of dollars to import fuel to run the power plants. On the website of the CEB, the Ceylon Electricity Board, which, by the way, has for some reason kept the colonial name of Lanka that we dropped in 72, you can actually check two to three days in advance on what days and what time your area will be impacted by a power cut. During our two-week stay, on a good day we will only have one and a half hours in the evening, but it did happen on some of the days that the current will be turned off twice. However, as my cousin Madhush explains, the CB sometimes cuts you some slack on certain occasions. We had a ride on a Tuesday and... Last power cut uh, last week. Last week. Last week last on Friday. last Friday. Last Friday. Because uh, there's no power cut uh, on because of the heavy rain. last weekend and yes. uh, Deepavali. For Deepavali, they'll give us some excuse for us <laughs> to stay, stay, in, <laughs> stay, in, stay in touch with India. <laughs> stay in touch with India. <laughs> early in 22, it used to be a lot worse. Yeah, it used to be worse. Sometimes uh, in earlier, earlier means around... Uh, not two to three months, around in uh, April, month of April, before month of May, it is goes up to 10 hours power cut. How was it back then? <laughs> Actually, we don't feel it because in our area, we have some luxury that uh, there's a, there's a uh, water purification plant near, near, near to our house, nearby our very close to our house. Indeed, some areas are spared by the power outages because they host facilities that need electricity at all times, such as hospitals and army bases. But Sri Lanka being Sri Lanka, some areas are also spared because they are home to politicians and their rich friends. After months of spending evenings in the dark, my grandma, or Archie as I call her, has lost her patience. <laughs> Kill the CB, she says, classic Archie. Even if you can barely see anything, power outages still have a specific sound. First, when the lights go off, there is a general grunt heard throughout the neighborhood. Then, to kill time since mobile networks also go off, my very musical family grab a guitar and a drum and we all sit down to sing singular classics with my cousins. Some 
And when the lights come back, there is always a small celebration. This news broadcast from the 2nd of December 2021 opened on the topic of gas cylinder explosions. It was around that time, at the beginning of the crisis, that people started queuing to get gas cylinders. Due to high demand, the content of these cylinders was modified, increasing the amount of propane, which led to higher pressure and leaks. Gas cylinders began to explode, and several people across the country were severely injured or even died from it. Usually, mothers who would be cooking meals for their children. That and the further shortages have pushed Lankans to use wood stoves, or as we call them, daralipa. The situation improved a bit, so that on the first day of our stay for tea time, the kettle is indeed resting under fire fueled by gas. <laughs> It had only been a month that my family had started purchasing gas cylinders again, which means that for a year, the daralipa was the only method of cooking. Nonetheless, my aunts still used the wood stove in order to save gas. By October, one gas cylinder costed 5,000 rupee, or 15 euro, which is still quite costly for the average Lankan, especially given that 5,000 rupees used to be the price for two cylinders. Life is hard and everything is expensive, says my uncle. He owns a masonry business and he recognizes it is even hard to do his job properly because the price of metal sheets and cement is skyrocketing. A bag of cement, which used to be a thousand rupees, now costs three thousand. My aunts also mentioned the cost of soap. One bar used to be fifty rupees, but then it was two hundred fifteen. But anyways, tea is almost ready, and tonight we're having milk tea, which is quite an event. Milk powder has become such a luxury that usually my family just has plain tea. As my uncle lights a daralipa, he tells me not to show this to the world because to him the comfort that people in some other parts of the globe can enjoy. Contrasts with the decreasing quality of life for Lankan people. They can't even get petrol at sheds to light up wood stoves. Instead, they have to resort to expensive coconut oil, which is usually used for cooking. And indeed, amongst the commodities that are lacking in Lanka, fuel is a crucial one. Several petrol sheds have stopped operating because they did not receive a single drop of fuel anymore, as it is the case of the public shed in the Jaya City Center. I mentioned it in the previous episode. In the earlier months of 22, queues at petrol sheds were so long that dozens of people died of exhaustion while waiting. Starting in August. A QR code system was implemented, allowing three wheelers five liters of fuel per week and twenty liters for cars. This helped the queuing situation. However, towards the end of our stay, queues made their appearance again. It just keeps going up and down, over and over again. 
At the farmer's market, at snack stands, or at this gigantic fish market here in Negombo, the first topic of conversation is the inflation, with sellers mentioning how hard it's becoming for them too. They're just not even earning enough themselves anymore. Life becoming unbearably expensive also shows in supermarkets. When we last went to Lanka in 2019, Kiel's, a supermarket chain, had posters promoting national unity after the Easter Sunday attacks, which had led to discrimination against the Muslim communities. Now, it's all about making sure the prices are as low as possible, and they even ask you at the counter to donate an 850 rupee meal card for children in Lanka, not in another poor country, in Lanka. In the first episode, Sarita and I discussed how this economic crisis is a humanitarian crisis in the making, and in the past few months, the price of meat, fish, and eggs has increased so much that millions of children are not getting the necessary amount of protein anymore. Because life is expensive, there's practically not much to life left. Specialized shops, such as furniture, are deserted now. At one of them, the employees were keeping the switches of the upper floor off unless a customer was going up. Not to mention that they also had a sign saying that there's additional discounts if you pay in a foreign currency. Now, one way to attract said foreign currency is tourism, but as I said earlier, while there used to be hundreds of tourists, by the time I went there, you could barely see one each day. This is damaging for the economy in general, but the impact on small businesses is even worse. In Balapitiya in the southern province, we visited a small museum displaying puppets, handcrafted according to a specific family tradition. It's been an item of pride for Lanka for generations, but since the pandemic, few visitors have come to the museum and the younger ones in the family are going abroad. A hot spot in Colombo is the Gold Face Green. This park stretches for 500 meters along the coast and it is very symbolic as it represents the confrontation of two Lankas. On the one hand, the ruling elite surrounds the park in skyscrapers and high-standard hotels. The presidential secretariat is only a few steps away and the Lotus Tower, a 360-meter-tall communications tower, which also represents the depth that Sri Lanka owes to China, overlooks the area of the capital city. On the other hand, there is the common people. Golf Face is a place for everyone together, from high school students in their uniforms, hanging after class, to families going on an evening stroll. They belong to any and all communities, and most snack stands are actually held by people from the Muslim minority. Between April and July 22, the people seem to have had the upper hand in the confrontation. Golface was at the heart of the protest that shook the Sri Lankan political establishment in response to the crisis. But it's also there that the government of President Ranim Rikwansinga, appointed in July, started to crack down on the protest site. And now the dynamics seem to have inverted again. Adjacent to the park is the new Chinese-funded port city, a wannabe megalopolis that aims at rivaling with Singapore and Dubai. The construction of the port city has made it harder for the people to reach the beach, and we witness families coming back from dipping their toes in the sea and now having to slide under closed gates, sometimes risking falling to the ditch. Bystanders were appalled by the situation, cursing the government for depriving the people from the liberty of even taking their children to the beach. But the tensions are not just between the people and their rulers. They also exist among the people themselves. An afternoon trade ride from Negombo to Tudela. There is a considerable number of people in the couch as this line travels up and down one of the most populated districts in the country. 
As we reach Katunaika Station near the airport, confusion arises as two women get off the train in tears, reaching out to the police. Their necklaces have been snatched by a group of men. Criminality is on the rise in Lanka, and to my understanding, the crisis has something to do with it. Lankans are well known for their kindness, and we talked about it early in the series. Yet, they trust each other less and less. Everyone is scared of being robbed or conned. In general, Lankans love to criticize how underdeveloped the country is, not just in terms of infrastructure, but also in terms of mentality and practices. When discussing the shortcomings of Lanka, they point at the short-sightedness of the people. At the end of the day, it is the people who voted the government in. This is how my 14-year-old cousin Sachin Tane puts it. Sri Lankan people should be more wise when casting their votes. How do they cast their votes now? No, they consider not the correct reason. They consider other things. Building the roads, maintaining the roads, um, simple reasons like that. They don't think uh, the educational status of Chanda uh, Apeksha. Ah, the, 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 the candidate. Candidate, candidate, candidate. candidate. <laughs> Do you think it's important to have an educated Yes, of course. Why is that? They should have the knowledge to govern the country. You can't uh, govern a country, run a country without knowledge. I don't mean everyone uh, that have knowledge can run a country, <laughs> but that's a reason. That's a must to have some kind of education to run a country. In 2022, Lankans were this close to trigger meaningful change for their democracy. For months, they protested against the catastrophic mismanagement of the economy by populist president Rajpaksa. <laughs> My cousin Madusha explains that the protests started as people were fed up with the 10-hour public cuts as well as the shortages of fuel which led to lengthy queues and put a halt to the public transportation system. Lankans had fallen to the lowest level possible. And that's how on 9th of July, 2 million people went to the streets and were able to oust President Gotabe Rajapaksa. On that day, Madhusha was also there in Colombo as protesters stormed the presidential secretariat. He decided to be careful since the police was firing shots, but he still praises a massive and non-violent protest, outnumbering police and army forces. After being appointed president, Rani Vrikumasinga took measures to address the political crisis by cracking down on protesters. As my aunt expresses concern over the fact that protesters are getting arrested, my cousin argues that the government does not have enough spots in prisons to arrest two million people. Ranil has vowed to address the economic crisis and lead Sri Lanka's efforts to get a bailout fund from the IMF. Since his rise to power, the revolt has calmed down because there is a sense of control and normalcy back. There is now fuel available to a certain extent, 20 litres per week. Life is a bit more bearable and the people have decided to wait and see how the government delivers. The governor of the Central Bank of Sri Lanka has said that they were about to meet the conditions to get the fund from the IMF. But Madusha's friend, who also works at the Central Bank, said that they are still far from it. So it's hard to trust anyone. We'll wait and see.
If the IMF doesn't bail Sri Lanka out, then hardship will continue. My cousin Mahisha is still in high school and she is majoring in economics. She is working hard and pulling all-nighters as she is preparing to take her advanced level exams and graduate from high school. But she's going to have to wait until 2024 to sit the exams because those who had to take them during COVID are yet to do it. At some point in the crisis, there was indeed a shortage of paper and ink and you could not even print exams anymore. The younger generation is paying the hard price of this crisis. Pinky pinky hawa ya ditani mera vile hita po ibada kadawa tule navira That's my niece Hima quite the opposite of Mahisha she doesn't really like school and prefers to run around the house and sing She was born in 2018 8 years after my Archie Hey by the age of 10, Archie had lived through the Second World War and the Japanese bomb raids and the independence of Lanka. Hima is not even five and in her lifetime, there has been terror attack, a pandemic, a crisis and a revolution. So I am wondering, what's the future going to be like for her? Will there even be a country called Lanka for her to grow up in as people are moving abroad because of the lack of opportunities? Lankans are resilient, but they are becoming more and more pessimistic. Everyone expects this crisis to get worse over time. The future seems far away, so they look ahead one day at a time. there is hope, then it has to come from the people, because not much can be expected from the top. But that's for next time. This was Pushing Through, the second episode of the MD series on the crisis in Lanka. A huge thank you to my family for their accounts and insights. Thank you as well to my cousins Praboda, Pavani, Hasili and Mahisha, and my brother Given for their cover of the song Obat Mamat, originally interpreted by Jagadik Masinga. You'll find a translation of the lyrics in the description of this podcast. In the third and last episode of this series, we will discuss the 2022 protest and what is next for the Lankan democracy. Nevetahamuimu. Talk to you soon.
The music for this podcast episode has been produced by Stone Ocean. This episode has been written, recorded, and edited by Jonathan Vijay Ratna.